kind of laughing, you know, the last couple of days as this was settling in and thinking about today is Diana's birthday. So for her birthday, I got out of town, so. <laughs> and I can't talk, so. I always love coming out here and seeing all the familiar faces and people that we have known for many, many years and really appreciate. Uh, I thought, since tomorrow is Remembrance Day, that kind of direct our thinking, you know, um, that way. Uh, okay. That, that. This is... Is there a non button on this thing? Yeah, slide it up on the side. <coughs> I was tempted to throw it, but. Many years ago when we were living in Ontario and I taught at Great Lakes for a year, to a computer class. And you gotta understand that was back before home computers were uh, available. But we were, I was teaching them how to write programs. And, uh, but one of the principles I said that uh, you need to understand is that to err is human, but to really foul things up you need a computer. So. And it seems like the more we do with technology, the more fragile things become. Many years ago, I told a story uh, in a lesson, which absolutely stunned some of the young people in the congregation, and I don't know why. But it was about when I was in high school, and I went to school at Great Lakes through the school year and then came home to Connecticut. <coughs> and a group of us, young people from church, decided to go to the beach. Um, Connecticut is on the north side of Long Island Sound. That's basically ocean water. Um, not a lot of really big waves but perfect beach. And we were there and we were lying on the beach in the sun and somebody brought a transistor radio and that dates me right there, right? Um, and they had one of the, the pop stations from New York City on <clears throat> because we were in the suburbs of New York. And I was laying on my stomach just letting my back absorb the rays and one of the girls said, your back's turning red. Didn't you bring any suntan lotion? I said, no. I'm a man, you know, I don't know. 
And so she hauled out a bottle of suntan lotion and started rubbing it on my back. And I went into bliss. And as I'm lying there with the warmth of the sun and the sound of the music playing the pop songs and the smell of the suntan lotion being rubbed on me was coconut. I just, everything was just wonderful. But you know what? Every time I hear some of those songs, every time I smell coconut, I remember that afternoon. And I even feel some of the things I felt. Memory is an important part of our lives. And there are things for us that trigger our memory, right? And you think about, um, it may be a word. You know, something that somebody says. It could be a thought. A picture or a scene or setting. A sense, a smell, a feeling. All of the things that you know are, are part of our just everyday life and things that we experience all the time. <coughs> but there's some that are very special, aren't there? For example, we see people wearing poppies. And we've all grown up with the idea of Remembrance Day and its significance. And the, I want to say cultural memories. I realize that there might be some here <coughs> that were alive during World War II. <coughs> but most of us weren't, were we? Um, I think about when I was a teenager, uh, one of the songs on the radio was a song that came out of Vietnam, uh, The Ballad of the Green Beret. You may remember that. <clears throat> and I learned how to, I figured out how to play that on the piano. And for me, that was just a song that I heard on the radio, and it was just really cool. I knew my mom was having a friend from out of town visiting with us. And so I went down to the basement, <clears throat> and I'm playing it on the piano. No reason, just because I was working on it. And in seconds, mom shot down to the basement. I said, stop that. Whoa. What landmine did I just hit? She explained. Her friend had a son that went to Vietnam as a Green Beret. He was riding in a helicopter 
And a stray bullet hit him and killed him. He was the first Green Beret to die in Vietnam. And I have a feeling about this big. But then to realize that I have just stirred up some very tragic, painful memories for this woman. It was very, very powerful, wasn't it? Unintentional. She actually didn't mind because she appreciated that song. But it just spoke of how powerful the memory is to be reminded of a very painful event. So in John 13 here, um, we have the setting of Jesus having the Last Supper with his disciples. And as they've assembled, and I don't know if you noticed, but John <clears throat> John observes that the meal has already begun when Jesus gets up and begins washing the disciples' feet. He grabs the basin, grabs the towel, wraps it around him, grabs another towel, and starts washing their feet and drying them. And if you think about it, what Jesus is creating here is a memory picture, isn't he? Do you think they will ever be able to wash their feet or have when somebody else wash their feet without connecting with and remembering what Jesus did for them? And then they have the Passover meal, the very familiar meal they have done every year since they were little babies. And the significance of that, and <clears throat> the, I hate to call it that, but there was a, a ritual, a routine that they would do every time. There was an order, there were things to be said. The youngest one would say, Why is this not night unlike any others? And the routine, or the story of the Passover would be repeated to remind them as Jews of the time when Israel was standing on the verge of being released from Egyptian slavery. We have the conversation that goes on at this table and at this meal. And then how Luke tells us after supper, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and the cup and gave these basic elements of the Passover a totally new meaning. What's really interesting, um, is you know, you think about all the things that were part of the Passover, the lamb. That's not part of the Lord's Supper, is it? The bitter herbs is an important part of the Passover, but not of the Lord's Supper. 
but the unleavened bread known to Israel as the bread of haste and the cup. And so during the Passover meal, there were four cups. And the fourth one being after the supper. And Luke tells us that after the supper, Jesus took the cup and blessed it and gave it to the disciples. This is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus gave a memory meal, something that by uh, partaking, we become very involved. You know, one of the things that helps evoke memory are our senses, right? For me, the smell of the coconut. Oh, can't. can't smell coconut without getting really, really hungry. But it's not the hunger, is it? For me, it's that memory of of lying on the beach and having that aroma being warmed up by the sun in my back. And so it becomes a very powerful reminder. And so by taking these two elements of the Passover meal. Jesus has created a, a, a living memory picture. So let's just take a minute here and think about some of the events that follow. So later, after the they have finished, they've sung a hymn, gone out to the Mount of Olives, and they've gone to Gethsemane. And so, as the apostles with Jesus, first his prayer goes off on his own. And they keep falling asleep. He is in anguish. You know, it's funny, I don't think they ever realized how much pain he was in. Until maybe after everything was over, and he had been crucified. That the, the facts that they had lived took on more significance than simply facts. We have the sign. We have the time of the cross. The apostles basically have run away. You know, Peter's bold assertions, I will never desert you, I will never deny you. You ever make a promise you didn't keep? Through our lives, we make a lot of them, don't we? But there's none quite as significant as what Peter said to Jesus. That as the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, after a bit of an initial confrontation, the apostles flee. A couple of them will follow along at a distance. A 
to see the crucifixion after the trial. You know, these were very real, very, you know, we, we kind of uh, clean up the cross. In fact, there are people in the religious community that professes to be Christian <clears throat> that goes so far uh, several years ago a United Church minister got a lot of publicity in the media of Canada for saying I will not allow my salvation to be based on anybody's death or blood didn't we just remember the blood of Jesus isn't that one of the things that he chose for us to use to remember him by? That without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And I appreciate those passages that were brought out at the Lord's Supper because um, we've got to come to the cross and come to Jesus and to remember I sometimes talk with some of our some of our guys at the when they're done the Lord's Supper and kind of point out, okay, you decided to talk about hockey. Right there. Well, let me give you an idea. This is what I'll say to some of them. Let me give you an idea of what women, most of our women do with hockey. When Diane and I moved to Winnipeg many years ago, we went to a Jets game. That was the original Jets. And after the game, she looked at me. She said, I've been to a game. Don't ask again. <laughs> she has been to other games, but, but I know not to ask her. And then I say, and look at all of the people here that are not from Canada originally. Their sport is soccer. You know, you're talking to a minority of the congregation. Maybe what we need to talk about in the Lord's Supper is the cross, not the sports. then there's that first evening that Sunday after the resurrection they don't know Jesus has been raised from the dead for sure they've heard the rumors, they've heard the story from the women what do you think they were talking about? I would love to have a record of the conversation even that close in time I think the shape of it would have been do you remember when Jesus said this do you remember when Jesus did that that's kind of typical when somebody dies even if they don't realize that he's been raised yet 
We have the story of the disciples, Clopas, and the other disciple on the road to Emmaus. And they encounter Jesus. They don't know who he is at the time. But they start remembering and telling this visitor what has happened being somewhat surprised that he doesn't seem to be aware of what's been going on in Jerusalem through that time. But then what about a week later when the other apostles have had that experience with Jesus that night but Thomas hasn't <clears throat> and they're trying to tell him the memory they have of Jesus appearing and Thomas is like yeah I gotta see the holes in his hands, and his feet, and his side. Otherwise, I won't believe. See, for the apostles in the early church, assembling together was about remembering. Part of it is remembering their own pain. They have had Jesus just wrenched violently away from them. They've been confronted with a huge uncertainty. Even though he's been trying to prepare them, they don't know. But that's been tempered by amazement. Sometimes I try to imagine what it would be like to be in a room and have Jesus appear. I realize the first thing is how do I know it's Jesus? I don't know what he looked like. I wouldn't recognize him. But I think somehow by the context, we'd figure it out, wouldn't we? But to have that kind of, you know, have somebody appearing in, a, in an angelic way, I kind of facetiously will say, you know, if Jesus were to appear before us right here, right now, I think we would all do a face plant in the floor, right? We would be awed and amazed and shocked and struck. And our casualness would disappear. But so the assembly, gathering of Christians, comes to be more about shared memories. You know, sometimes we wonder what would it be like to have been with the church over those weeks and months and years after Jesus had returned and ascended to heaven. But I suspect the dominant theme of those conversations would be sharing memories they had of Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus stilled the storm? When he raised the dead girl? 
when he raised Lazarus. And we would prize, prize those memories, wouldn't we? Because they would be so precious and important to us. And so kind of multiply that by Pentecost. When the apostles were to gather in the upper room just before the Holy Spirit comes, and think about those conversations that are going on, and then suddenly there is the Spirit. But every one of these encounters is focused on retelling and, and sh- sharing and valuing the story of Jesus. We sing, tell me the story of Jesus, right on my heart, every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. So what we need to do is to think about, you call it the application phase, renewing the memory. It's not firsthand for us. It's 2,000 years old. Yet, it can be just as real and powerful as it was in the first century. But we're facing what I call the challenge of time. We don't remember very long. As I was thinking about this lesson, I was thinking about I had to run to the store the other day and I had made up in my mind a list of five things to go and get. It started with the one thing that was most important. I then added four more. And so I went to the store and I bombed around the store and I end up with 10 things in my cart. And when I get home, I realize that I'd only gotten four of the five things that were on my list. And the one I hadn't gotten was the most important that I had forgotten. Today is my wife's birthday. And I'm here and she's there. She had the opportunity, but she's teaching a class in Jeremiah, a ladies' class, on Sunday morning, so she felt she wanted to be there for that. But we'll be getting together later this afternoon when I get home. But that's kind of the standing joke for husbands, isn't it? Forgetting our wife's birthday? Judging by the giggles, I think there are a few guys who've done it. Or forgetting our anniversary. I've got to say I have not done that, but but I know some who have. Important events get lost in time from our memories. What do you think would happen over 2,000 years with an event like the death of Jesus? Would it still be vital and active and powerful for us if there were not some way 
to pass it on, to proclaim it, to share it, to remember it, and even to participate with it, which is what the word fellowship actually means. We need to share the story, not just with one another, but with others. I always think about the Passover observance, the ritual, if you want to call it, um, where the youngest asks, why is this night unlike any other? That is the doorway to a recounting of the Passover celebration. And sometimes I think when we come to the Lord's Supper, what we need to be doing is thinking, why is this meal unlike any other? It's because it's not a meal, is it? It's a remembrance of what our Lord did for us in giving his life for our sins. And sharing the story as a real part of our lives. Not just facts that we recite. Sometimes I think about, you know, Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, where he says, um, Now I would remind you, brethren, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you believe by which you're saved, unless you believed it in vain. That Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. And we just rattle that off as fact. Or do we understand they crucified my Lord. They arrested him, they beat him. They put him through the indignity of a mock trial. And then executed him in one of the cruelest, most painful ways. Doesn't that create some indignity in us? some strong emotional response more than just words that we rattle off but it doesn't end there does it that Jesus rose from the dead that he offers to us a living hope and so he becomes the core of our teaching and as his followers. That's what defines us. We are a community of believers. We are gathered here in Jesus' name to remember, to build up, to motivate, to inspire, to encourage, to help us go out into the world with a message. One of the early 
references, maybe the earliest reference after the Bible, to the assembly of Christians, talked about how when the uh, church came together in this one particular uh, document, it talked about how they read from the memoirs of the apostles. That's kind of a quaint way of putting it, isn't it? But do you understand what they're saying? They were reading from Matthew and Mark and John, likely even Luke, even though he wasn't an apostle. They were reading the stories that were written by those who were there or who heard those who were there so that we could have um, and to me, one of the most powerful passages occurs later when John says, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have touched with our hands, we knew Jesus. We were with him. He was real. And John says, and I'm writing this so he may be real for you too. So as we think about days like Remembrance Day tomorrow, Let's keep in mind, I remember that every day, but especially when we come together to assemble, that it is for the purpose of remembering Jesus and what he did and to have that active living memory of, of a Lord who gave his life for us.